Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. Today, we are really excited to bring you Tommy Venesey. He is currently the Director of Client Success at ADP, but this guy has been a champion in all walks of life since a very young age. The guy won his first championship at age five. That success followed him through his athletic career, and he's been able to transfer lessons learned in sports to his daily professional life. In high school, he was all-state and all-region in football for three consecutive years. And by the time he graduated, he had scholarship offers for football, basketball, baseball, and track and field. Tommy went on to be a three-year starter at Troy, where he won two Southland Conference championships. And what happened after college is one of the things that makes him truly unique. Tommy Venesey had tryouts for just about every single NFL team. And although no one bit, he pursued his dream of becoming a professional football player until in his own way, it became a reality. First, he played for the Hamburg Blue Devils of the German Football League and led them to the 2003 German Bowl Championship. Then he joined the Columbus Destroyers of the Arena Football League before going on to the Philadelphia Soul owned by none other than John Bon Jovi. It's a career that ultimately led him to the Albany, Georgia Sports Hall of Fame where he was inducted in 2014. Now, on the academic side, he had his bachelor's degree from Troy, of course, but then went on to a master's degree from Cornell University and then an MBA from Georgia Institute of Technology. Tune in to hear about how the processes and strategies that led to Tommy's success as an athlete have transferred over into the business world and learn how he cultivates a team culture for consistent and growing levels of success. I think you're really going to enjoy today's conversation with good human, good athlete, Tommy Venesey. I met with uh, actually Jim Donnan and Steve Spurrier, and they, as interested as we are, we really want to redshirt you. I, I forget whether it was Spurrier or Jim Donnan, but they said, hey, redshirt means that you're not good enough to play at this level yet, but we think you do have some talent, and within maybe two or three years, you'll be a starter and be able to play uh, at the next level. And I'm thinking in my mind, okay, I've played and won at every level Yep, from age yep. five up now to, to age 17, you know. Yeah. Three-time All-American, All-State, all everything, every accolade that you can ever consider. Mm-hmm. Why would you give me this label or this title before I even, take, you know, take a step foot on campus? Right. Get to prove um, yourself. That's right. 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 So my second conversation with, was with Troy, and this was just a trial and error thing. I was like, hey, so I know you guys have been around. Do you want to redshirt me? What, what would happen if I came there? And you're like, heck no. You start day one. You come here, you play here, day one. And, uh, and they, they held true to, you know, to that statement. And the coach asked me, what will help you make a decision? And I mentioned my quarterback. I, he was interested in uh, us going to school. I thought it would be a great idea. He got an offer the next day we signed with Troy. Again, winning. Winning was huge to me. And Nate, hey, we win conference championships every year. You'll compete yeah. and play the same schools that you would play at, a, at any other school, which we play in Nebraska's and your Miami's and Maryland's. And we played the same schools, but at a, at a different level. Um, and that, that really interests me. I, I felt I had something to prove. Yeah. And I wanted to go out and, and really stick it to them if I got the chance. Yeah. I love that, man. Well, congratulations. Uh, and yeah, and, and it kind of came to fruition too, right? Yeah. I like it. So after that successful time at Troy, you went on to play where? Where was your next stage? Yeah, so after Troy, mm-hmm. um, so I, I began training for, for the NFL. And uh, I think I may have worked out for every team 
possible, but just did not get that call that I was I was waiting to to receive. But I was not willing to to give up on myself. I, I felt I put too much into the game, and uh, that the game would give me something back in return. Mm-hmm. Um, so went on to play in Germany. Got an opportunity to go to uh, play in Hamburg, play with the Hamburg Devils, play wide receiver there. I had a wonderful, wonderful time, and I came back shortly after and signed a Arena One contract. Very cool. And and so how long did you stay in that hunt? How long did you chase the career in the Arena League? Yeah, so I was there, I'll say a total of four seasons, and uh, continued to work out for for teams. And I think I worked out for every team. I mean, every NFL team, every CFL team, every AFL team. Sure. If anyone was having a tryout, I was there. You'd be there. You know, you want those private workouts. Mm-hmm. Uh, got a chance to to go to a, a private workout, one in uh, Tampa Bay, um, and then another here in Atlanta. And I, I'll tell you, and I, I don't know if I'm jumping too far ahead, but the one here in Atlanta came uh, in a very interesting way. Uh, a gentleman that used to, to be one of our trainers at Troy uh, went on to be a regional scout for the Atlanta Falcons. Oh, wow. And he was one of the guys that, you know, most give uh, their, your GAs or your trainers a hard time. They just kind of kick them in the butt and, and poke fun at them. Mm-hmm. But I really thought he was a cool guy. I thought he was, you know, just like anyone else. He didn't have on a helmet, but he was a part of part of the team, one of the guys. And uh, end up getting a, a workout through through that relationship. So, that. Um, yeah. you know, the, the relationships that, that I've gained from athletics far exceed any accomplishment or accolade that I personally received at all. That's an amazing thing to say, man. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah and I mean, it was interesting, you know, the, the water boy or girl or the guy that's on the sideline doesn't typically, you know, get the high five. He's not, mm-hmm. or she's not typically the one that, that everyone uh, runs off the field with, but you and I both know those are the individuals that put far more hours or just as many hours than anyone else. Um, so for me, it, I think that some of it was upbringing and, and just really understanding how you embrace the, the entire team, everyone that helps make up that organization or mm-hmm. that, that team, that group that goes out and competes. They're those behind the scenes that yep. really make it happen. Yep. Uh, so yeah. for me, it was, I mean, it was quite natural just to, to give him just as much, much love as I would anyone else. I, I think that's so important. I'm so glad you said it. We, uh, we're, the timing here is funny. Literally yesterday, we had uh, the teams we work with did this, I'm, and I didn't play a rep, so I'm, it's okay if I brag about them. Boys lacrosse won a state championship. Girls lacrosse won a state championship. Girls soccer took third. Boys wow. uh, volleyball took third. And our ultimate Frisbee team uh, went 20-0 and on the season. So, wow, wow. And, and it's amazing. And, but I say that because that all happened literally yesterday. The, the conversations that we're having with those players and coaches – are amazing because we're just so lucky to be part of a culture that does exactly the things that you've been talking about. Uh, and mm-hmm. we've got these head coaches who are, if not already are destined for the hall of fame in the in high school hall of fame. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the way that people like that talk about everyone else is, is reflective of exactly what you're talking about. The, the first people uh, that they think are the trainers and yeah. the equipment managers and the, and the parents and uh, all, all their assistant coaches. And it's funny, you almost think, here, here's what I thought maybe early on in my coaching. I was like, oh, isn't that nice? The people who are experiencing this moment of glory are, are being humbled. Isn't that nice? Uh-huh. And I think they are being humble, but I think also that they've risen to that level because they get it. 
because right. it's true that like th this is not fluff. If we don't have the trainer getting our, our, our one of our top three defender, you know, female um, defensive players on the soccer team, if we don't have her back in time, you know, because of all the time that she spent in the training room with these professionals, then our team doesn't look the same. An extension of that, if that trainer is not using the same language and part of the same uh -huh. in positive encouraging all these ways, we just don't get quite the same product. There are thousands of touch points over the course of a season um, with dozens, if not hundreds of, of different people and voices and it's culture that really takes us to the next level. So it's so encouraging to hear you say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and, and I actually had a couple experiences where um, our coaches in high school would actually encourage uh, some of the, those that had special needs because they didn't compete with the team, but they actually uh, would go out with the team. They would lead the team. Uh, every, you know, every accolade that the team got, they were recognized first. Mm -hmm. uh, so for me, it was instilled, I think, at a very early age. And I just wanted to, you know, for me not seeing that when I would go other places, it almost felt, I felt mm -hmm. odd. I felt out of place that other groups weren't doing the same thing. So I wanted to always promote that, encourage others to do the same. Um, and for me, it brings some, some joy, but then the seed of joy and excitement that it brings that individual is huge. So, and maybe I'll ask a question for you then. I mean, this is a podcast, I, hopefully that you, you don't mind. Currently with athletes having access and, and being able to, to gain as much information as needed at your fingertips, uh, I see high school athletes attempting or doing things maybe you and I didn't see until we were in college, after college, but attempting to apply those things at a very early age. What are your thoughts? What is your take? Uh, how is the athletic world uh, looking or viewing those, those things currently? Well, that's interesting. So you just broke that into, in my opinion, two categories. One of them is, is the biggest one and is the early specialization idea. Yep. And um, like you said, you won a championship and at five years old. Is that what it was? Yep. Yep. Five yep. years old. And, but what you also said in that was you were playing football, baseball, basketball. You were doing all of these things. Right. I, I think, and it's funny that you say that, I, I think early specialization is, um, it is just now coming to light that that is really freaking dangerous. Yeah. And I think we, we too much, we too often get caught up in like that, uh, you know, the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hour rule. The only way to be elite at this thing is if I fully dive into it and go crazy. Right. Um, I, it's not true. It just yeah. isn't true. So the, the best way from a physical standpoint, and like you said, our, ours is on the weight side, on the strength side, the performance side, preparing athletes for these things. I can tell you unequivocally that the surest way to get hurt like as an athlete is mm -hmm. to pick one thing, pick one thing super early and do that thing for the rest of your life. Right, uh, right. Yeah. And, and, and I'm, I'm trying to recall some of these studies off the top of my head, but Tommy John surgery, for example. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. If you come back from one Tommy John surgery, you can be fine. Yeah. By, by your second, you're almost guaranteed to not throw as well as you would have you never get back to top and then it's just stacking these injuries and one theory behind that now is this accumulation of of micro tears and minor like low level scar tissue over the course of years years trying to throw freaking curveballs at at six seven years old you know um it's silly 
And, and it's, and, and it, it probably happens because it's specialized where, you know, back in the day, maybe you're the pitcher or the catcher or whatever. And then all of a sudden it's football season and all of a and you're doing different sorts of things. And so all of a sudden it's basketball season. We avoided some of those injuries. It wasn't until specialization that we that Tommy John surgery even really became a thing, to be honest. Mm -hmm. So that's mm -hmm. just kind of one instance of it. But uh, there's a movement going on, LTAD, long-term athletic development, that people I think need to be aware of as they select, you know, not only from a coaching standpoint, but where to put their kids. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Do I want to get a personal pitching coach for my kids? I don't mean to rag on baseball. A personal pitching coach for my kid at eight years old? I don't, I don't think so. If you want that yeah. kid to be the, the best athlete he can be or she can be, switch they actually refer to it now alex i wonder if you've heard about this is it's the uh tiger versus roger idea tiger woods versus roger federer tiger woods who was specialized super early roger right. Federer, who whose um parents recognized his ability super early but but made sure that he kind of was involved in everything yeah um, yeah so and there's an idea that that would say that not only are you building a more solid, steady, healthy foundation in the, what we'll call the Federer model, mm -hmm. but once you, once you later in life decide to sort of specialize, you'll, mm -hmm. just, you'll bring so much more to that idea. And like you're saying right now, your job, like your business is enhanced by the fact that you traveled overseas and played football and were forced yeah. to be, you know, you were part of teams and all these things that because you experienced all of that, that is now funneling into whatever ways you want to demonstrate it. Now, if you had, think about if you had done some version of your current job now, when you were like six, right? You like, you'd know it, okay, you'd know it in an, at a, at a level and with a nuance that is probably more fine tuned than it is now, but yeah. you were burnt out 15 years ago. Yeah. 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 Yep. It's interesting. And so even, even athletics, I, I thought, and I, I didn't realize this until my third year out uh, uh, as a professional, I had not spent the 4th of July with family. I had not spent a Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. I had not been there for Christmas since I was in eighth grade. So from eighth grade, because where I, in the area, rural area I grew up, they, they get you right. They get you involved with the high school program <laughs> as soon as possible. You have your feeder schools, Let's go ahead and get them. If we know they'll compete at a high level, let's go ahead and get them involved in multiple sports. You know, you have summer sports, they have fall sports, winter, mm -hmm. you know, winter uh, tournaments, and it just goes on and just continues to to uh, to pile on. And even through college, so at Troy, uh, we talked about the conference championships. That's right in the middle of of the holiday season. Right. And I, it wasn't until. I think I was maybe 24, 25, and a family invited me to an event. And I thought, like, wow, I have not attended a family event in nearly 10 years. Wow. 10 years. 10 year period. It's so, burnout, so, burnout is real. Burnout it is, is very real. <laughs> it yeah, is real. There's, there's no doubt. And then, so I think to bring in the second part of your question to that equation, yeah. The technology side and like in like the ever advancing, you know, world it ever like ever more complicated world that kids now mm -hmm. are living in. Mm -hmm. I would say that um, like we don't recognize this, but there's something called cognitive load that a lot of people will probably be familiar with um, that is being stressed and strained through our phones, through technology yep. and social yep. media. Yep. So, so where uh, where you and I might have been concerned about um, practice and uh, probably like our, our friend group and social status and like does so and so like me and stuff like that. Yep. They the kids now they have that 
plus the like hours and hours of screen time and these these strange and new and I would suggest invented social currencies online like like if like if if you didn't like a post I made you know mm-hmm. what I mean what does that mean exactly? right, right, right. so they're dab- I feel devalued there there's yeah. a notion that that I'm no longer uh, my full self they're navigating the world that we had yeah but but their but their ability to might might be slightly hindered because they're so freaking they're so exhausted mm-hmm. from this other stuff all the time but that by the time they get to these real world interactions they find them more challenging potentially there is a suggestion out there that that one of the you can't cure mental health it's not a traditional disease like that but you can identify processes and and identify sort of hot spots and areas of concern and and, yep. sort of, and work with people to uh, improve those areas of their life. A huge one is connection. Right. So yep. to feel connected to a human being, you know, the, the, all these longevity studies, it, it's reflected across the research everywhere. To feel connected mm-hmm. to another actual human being is essential for a long, happy, healthy life. Mm-hmm. And I think when we create these artificial atmospheres, it changes the way that that happens. So that's kind of a concerning thing to me. So picking up from there, if you're comfortable sharing with us, I'm curious about how it felt for you to transition from being an athlete. Now, we're not talking about necessarily social media and the phones anymore, just mental health at large. How it felt from going to someone who was always involved in sports, won a first championship at five, to essentially leaving sports at, how old were you, mid-20s? Mid twenties, yeah, mid twenties. So I'll be honest, it was a it was a huge shift for me, Jim, um, because I, I had been for so long able to basically check the box and say, hey, this is what I accomplished, and if I work a little bit harder, it'll get me closer to a goal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, God forbid I, I don't reach that goal, then there's next year. Yeah. Um, but once sports or athletics was over, there was no longer that that same energy of drive that I could release. And uh, it's, it's a bit of a shock to your system. You, I'm used to training at a certain level. I'm used to receiving some type of reward uh, for those efforts. And now that's not, that's not happening. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, it was somewhat of a downer. And uh, I really had to, to figure out what, what do I do next? Uh, and I'll say this, and this may be the first time that I, I've, I've been on several podcasts, but never mentioned that I actually left school. I left college really to pursue professional athletics. So um, for me, coming from a family that really focuses on education, my mother, both of my sisters, all of my aunts, every, everyone, uh, for the most part of my family, were educators. And I was going against the grain and doing something that they would not have typically signed off on. And, you know, I, I felt somewhat like a failure, if you will, uh, because there were certain things that I promised or promised myself or said that I would do, and I, I was no longer able to do that. So I really had to examine myself, uh, one, pick myself off the floor and, and realize that, hey, I had not done anything wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that part of my life was, was coming to a, a quick end, and now I have to start this new phase, this new stage of life. Now who will Tommy Vinnessy be? How do I define myself mm-hmm. now that athletics is over? Um, I'm no longer competing on an athletic team. Where do I go now where I can get the same, at least see some of these same characteristics, uh, give off that, that same aura that I, that I had before and really drive to, to something for, 
where there's a, a common interest and a common goal. Hmm. I, that's really interesting. You th- I, every, I think every athlete has to wrestle with it at some point. And it's yeah. this funny uh, idea that it, funny is the wrong word, but the more you dig into it, the more you devote yourself to it, the more stark the contrast is once it's gone. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, so it's, it's, it's just that much harder when you say that. I, I, I guess I, every time I have one of these conversations with, with someone like you, I, I, I have to be self-reflective and it feels like I find another part of my self and, and am able to reflect in my own process when I do so. And, and um, yeah, just like you almost wonder like, and, and what, what good, this is extreme, but like, what good can I give back to the world if I'm not like hunting for a championship and like, yeah, yeah. I don't want to be dramatic about it, but like, and, and if my dad doesn't get to go brag in the office on Monday about what his son accomplished this this year, this season, you know, how does that affect who I am and, and what value I, I kind of bring? Yeah. And, and I grew up in a rural area where, you know, sports is, I mean, it's praised at, at every level from, yeah. I mean, you talk about youth amateur sports on through high school and college and, and coming home and receiving, you know, the high fives and, and praise for, for doing so well on, on the athletic field. Um, and now coming back and that not being the case. Now you're, you're still praised because you're, you're always Jim Davis. And we remember when Jim Davis, you know, accomplished this, but now internally, I know that that, that has come to an end. Uh, and, and friends and family still, you know, still want to discuss that and still give you that, that praise because they want to live it. I mean, you're, you're their superstar. You're, you're their Superman. They, they've watched you develop and get to the, this stage of, of your career. Uh, and want to continue living that, but you know that 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 person now uh, is no more. Dude, this is this is a this is an incredible afternoon for me because now I'm thinking like I'm confronting this like I I I still I, I remember when I would start seeing people whatever out in Chicago somewhere yeah. and they would say Are you still playing? And I and I would and I would never fully confront it. I think I still don't. I still like. You know, someone asked me the other day, are you still playing? Even though I'm like an old man now. I don't yeah. <laughs> But like, they're like, are you still playing? I'm, and I'm like, oh, I'll play flag football now and then. Like, I won't yeah. fully, I'm, I'm yeah, like, yeah. I don't fully commit to it, you know? Yeah, and, and you know, it was, for me, it was almost as if, if I did that, there's this, um, there's this, uh, this power or this energy that I'm now giving up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I felt that way for a long time. It was... So when do you when are you going to get drafted or did you get picked up or will you sign a new contract and there was some anxiety for you know from one expecting those questions but then having to actually actually answer those yeah. and um you know being true to yourself um and now having to be true to to others and saying you know I, I actually no longer play and it, it was mm-hmm. I'll say for me it was extremely difficult yeah. um but yeah. then when I got to a point where uh, I could do that with confidence uh, because that no longer is what's needed to check the box for me personally. Mm-hmm. I, I felt much better, but again, that's a process and it took someone supporting those efforts uh, for me to get there and, and be willing to accept that. Yeah. Hmm. My mind is blown. <laughs> I, I don't mean that, but uh, cause it's, we do hear versions of this story all the time, but I do feel like something in my own head just kind of clicked into place, which is good. Um, yeah. And, yeah. and I'll say for, for me, I think had I not had um, 
a foundation in, in something bigger than myself or bigger than athletics, I would still continue to do that to this day because <laughs> I've been far removed from sports, but at times I still feel that I could perhaps go and compete at the same level. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, and Mother Nature tells me otherwise, but that, that energy still flows in me and I, I still get excited mm -hmm. and I still want to go out there and, and do things that I've done in the past. Um, but I know internally mm -hmm. that gentleman has now sat on the shelf and, it, and, it, and it's okay. And I'm okay with it. And like I said, it was the transition. Um, and I think each person, when or if they get to that point, has to know what their transition should look like mm -hmm. and be willing and open to accept it. Because rejection was, was what I did for a long time. And as, a, as long as I continue to reject that, this is where I am. Um, because even, and I'll say this, even after I stopped playing, I would still get random calls like, hey, would you be interested in coming to camp? Yeah, or right. would, you, would you be open to a, a, another tryout? And I'm like, man, maybe I should go one more time. Mm -hmm. uh, or maybe I should give this a, another run. But you and I both know once you're 25, 26 in any, any sport, well, specifically football, right. you, you're, you're well-seasoned. You're, you're a seasoned yeah. guy at that point. Um, yeah. So, I mean, like I said, once I was able to accept it, and really write down what was it that I was getting out of athletics that was pouring into me, making me feel that way. Mm -hmm. And then trying to find something with that would align with some of those same traits and begin to start positioning myself. Okay. If it's just, you know, if I just want to get a workout, I need to get a good run in. There are many recreational ways to, to do that. Um, if there's some sense of accomplishment that I'm speaking, then there's also some ways to do that. If there's a sense of team, or, or camaraderie that I, that I want to have to feel macho or to get my release, then I, I needed to find ways to do that, not just to, to do it for, for that one time, but on an ongoing basis. Because much like a, as a, an athlete, once you continue to progress at a certain season, you now need to graduate and either move on or, or step aside. And I had to do that as well. So for a certain period, these are the, this is the group or these are the resources that, that I would utilize as I graduate, as I matriculate, and now I move on, I, okay, now I take on some new items. There's some new traits, some new people, uh, a new group that I have to connect with that'll help me progress to that next level, whatever I define that next level to be. What do you know about Richie Incognito in the most recent signing and story? Do you know anything about that? I saw the signing. Uh, I know his previous story, but not sure what's, what's taking place currently. Basically, that Richie Incognito has had kind of a, a history of, um, I guess, mental health issues is right. the best way to characterize it. And it's what led to the end of his career in Miami. There was obviously the, the very high profile case of the, the bullying with his teammate. Yeah. Um, and then went to Buffalo, and I believe that was the reason he pretty much cited for uh, the reason that he retired was to, to mm -hmm. take care of that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I know it's been a struggle for him. Uh, I know he had some issues legally when he was retired. I think I believe he was arrested uh, one time. Yeah, that's that's about the extent of it. I, I think it's a pretty yeah. good recap. And I think for people who don't know, so he was just picked up by the Raiders. Um, mm -hmm. The bullying incident happened with the with the Dolphins. And do you, do you accept a guy like that into your locker room just because he can play? 
um, you know, where, where would you position yourself as a leader, leader or even envision yourself as a teammate? How do you engage with this kind of stuff? Yeah, so I, I've had a, a different, uh, couple of different coaches that have taken several approaches, and I find myself somewhere in the middle where um, talent and toxic, we, you, you have to find a, a perfect balance because if someone is extremely talented, but they are also extremely toxic, then they they may not be the best fit for the team. But I've also had another coach that showed and proved if we can have one crazy, and I'm using this slightly, uh, quotations, one crazy on our team um, in this particular position, then we can utilize that person. They may not have all the, the talent, but because of their aura and what they bring to the locker room and to the team, if we can channel that in the right way, then it can help us get to where we, we want to need to be. Basically, in, in football, we, we need an aggressive, get-in-your-face-down-and-dirty guy that may not have all the talent, but he will, he will go all out to try to get things done. Um, for, for me, character is extremely important, and it's a reflection of the overall organization. So I would, I would not ever want to be in a position where our, our team – uh, what it is that we stand for, or that our vision is tainted um, because of someone's own personal desires or their, their personality or how they go about carrying out the game each day. Right. Um, so I, I think we, you definitely have to, you have to weigh that and what effect it may have on the team. Um, because I think had this not come out public, then he would have gone on his career. He would, you know, there would have been several changes that he would have had to personally make, but we would have been able to move on, but now um, I think it's a big deal. But we see it quite often. I mean, you talk about those that haze the younger kids or they do all these different things in, in an effort to get them up to par, get them ready to play. Uh, for me, that's not something that, that I think is needed in the game, and there, there are better ways to, to go about bringing the best out of a, a younger teammate or one that may, may not be performing at the level that that individual feels they, they need to. Um, so, so for me, uh, I think I would do as a leader, as a coach, I would do without that. I would focus more on the talent than uh, trying to strike a balance with the toxic. Yeah, that's interesting because yeah, if you if you if you forced someone's hand and made them come up with a mission statement if if they hadn't already and say like, what is your team about? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know that they people would put talent first. You know what I mean? But then when you yeah. get to the yeah. point of like selecting the roster, that's a, that's like the primary component. Right. And actually, so we had Charles Tillman on the podcast, not too long okay. ago. You know Charles Peanut? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So he brought up this really incredible example when reflecting on um, his time with the Bears and uh, the Panthers, when both of those teams went to this, the championship. And he was like, yeah, of course you got talent. It's the NFL. But um he, 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 all he did was talk about the culture, the healthy culture of those mm -hmm. teams that ultimately went on mm -hmm. to, to play for Super Bowls. And um, there, there's nothing that can jump that really. And that, that, no. I guess that's where my mind goes with this. Cause like, and, and, and the reference that he made soon after was um, the, the Eagles. And this was right after the Eagles had won or recently after the Eagles had won. So not this last Super Bowl, but the one before Eagles and the Ofer Browns, just you know, the bottom of the league. This was pre big yeah. yeah. And he was like, What's the difference between those two teams? They're both full of collegiate all Americans. You test their times and their strength and all those kind of things, probably pretty yeah. darn similar. Um, what's the difference? It's the locker room. 
It's the culture. Right. Do you want that guy at your house on Sunday for a barbecue or do you want to avoid him at all costs? And that's where my mind goes. Forget about the very real and legitimate human aspect because you could break that Mm -hmm. thing open with the Richie Incognito case and go for days on on where he went wrong there. But just to have a, a presence like that in the locker room, I personally, I don't think, I, don't, I couldn't wrap my head around going through with that. I don't care if he can block people. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and I'll say we, we as coaches, as leaders, we have to find what's driving that because there have been, there've been teammates that, that I've uh, played with or actually coached that, you know, had personal scenarios that were driving them to act different than they typically would. And point. me as a coach, if I release this guy or I allow this guy outside of our organization, um, that may not be the best environment or atmosphere. So what is it that I do, one, if I'm able to identify, what is it, am I do, what is it that I do to perhaps alter those, those actions, those responses, um, and how do I protect the team around me? So uh, I think you, you walk a very fine line. Yeah, that's right. And it's, it's interesting to me. Uh, because in the NFL, which let's make no mistake about it, like that's a business. That is not the, the you know, John Gruden has different goals than Alex Nadalna sitting beside me who's working with yeah. him. But, but I guess what we're talking about is so it's one thing if like you stuck your neck out for your quarterback who you played with, yep. you know what I'm saying? Yep. That makes sense to me. And if he had a, a concern along the way, you'd, you'd probably do whatever you had to do to try to help him out. Yep. Now, on the NFL side, though, I, I don't know what the existing relationship between Gruden and Incognito is, but he's certainly yep. not like a tried and true member of that roster who's, mm-hmm. who's given, his, you know, given his time and efforts and, you know, over many, many years. So where is this line? And I think about it professionally all the time between how much do we want to mentor and nurture and bring this person along as, as, a, as a core part of our culture? Um, and, and, and the opposite side of that, and when do we si- decide that this is just not the kind of person that we want in our culture, if that makes sense? Yeah. You have to kind of yeah. prove yeah. yourself for long enough to, to validate, like, okay, now I'm willing to invest in you. Um, you know, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I, I think it goes to this whole idea of diverse um, diversity, you know, diverse in thought or diverse in approach or uh, diverse in coordination where I, I know me as a leader, I brought people onto my team because of, uh, because they didn't look at, respond, uh, perform the way others did. They didn't uh, process the way that everyone else did. They, they actually brought some unique perspective and it was totally opposite of everything that, that we had done in the past. It was totally disruptive. Um, there, there is some risk and you have to find a, you know, have to find a perfect balance. It's a fine line you walk when you, when you start going against the grain. But for, for me, uh, there, there were some things or some boundaries or parameters that I set and say, okay, this is what we anticipate. And, I, and this is for me personally, I don't have to display it to anyone else, but me as a, a individual leader, these are the things that I'm willing to accept. These are the things that I'm not willing to accept. Uh, as long as we can play within those lines, then I, I'm okay pushing it. I'm definitely okay there. I love that. And what sort of stuff do you do when you recruit people? What kind of things 
are you looking for? Cause that's more and more on my radar now is like, we gotta, I'll, I'm, I am, this is just the way I am. I think I'm loyal sometimes to a fault, but I, I'll, I'll stick with you. I'll, I'll, I'll do my best to make sure it works. How do you kind of, uh, how do you recruit the right people? What are some alerts? Like, so say you're hiring and I, and I hope everyone out there, we've got some like college athletes who listen to this podcast, for example. Yeah. These folks are going into a job interview. What are some real red flags? Uh, You know, if you were trying to bring someone into your culture, what are some things that you just would not want to see? So I think at my, my, um, where I am in my career and what I'm looking to hire is individuals that have uh, intellectual curiosity. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're in an exploratory discovery phase always. They're always looking to learn, um, but there's some structure to it. If, mm-hmm. if I'm exploratory and I'm all over the place, I'm open to whatever, I'm willing to do whatever, I, I, can, I cannot define what my strengths are. I can't tell what, what any particular opportunities I have. I'm just always discovering, but I can't narrow that down to one particular uh, thing, item, function, or industry, then that that raises some concern. But someone that's thinking outside of the box Mm -hmm. and and really, they really know and understand who they are and what it is that they bring to the table. And not only they bring those values, but they can articulate those things and the things that they cannot do. They're open and bold enough to say, hey, Jim, this is what I do well. This is what I'm looking to continue to explore. And I think with me getting more exposure in this area, these are the things that I think I'll be able to accomplish. Mm. I like that. So, so you want range, but not too much range. You want, you want uh, uh, some Roger Federer, some Tiger Woods. Is that fair? Yeah, I do. I do. I do because, because in our space, you have to be extremely flexible. Um, the traditional model that, that many follow, I, I go outside of that. Even in an interview, um, I mean, you can, you can practice canned questions and, and perform yeah, well in an interview, but can, can you operate outside of that space? If there's a question that I ask that's totally off the wall, how far would that conversation go? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, will we, what dialogue will we be able to have uh, outside of what you may already brought to the table? I really want to see how you process information. Uh, not only process that information, but then how do you use what it is that you've been able to, to gain through that dialogue? Yeah, I like that. And and that's the epitome of understanding, isn't it? What, um, that Bloom's taxonomy, I think, maybe like yeah. the synthesis and thereafter application of the whatever you bring in, like that's where the real kind mm-hmm. of genius happens or the real high level stuff work happens. I, yeah, I, I mean, and, and the, so in athletes, we, we have, I mean, it's for us almost instinctive. We make quick adjustments. Mm-hmm. We we still progress and move forward. We're extremely persistent and we see things through. That's it. And and that's what that's what I look for. That's what I look for in the corporate setting. I look for the same type of individual. So, you know, if if not down, how how do we continue to respond? Do we continue to go until the whistle blows, if you will? Mm-hmm. Um will will we push on? Will we push forward? Will we do what it takes, what we need to do to get where that organization, my team, that group, whatever that design or defined goal is, are we willing to go the distance? I love what you just said. So you added one key term there that makes sense to me. So I am fully, I am a full, like, I couldn't be more into the idea that you need to, and this is a reference to a book by a guy named David Epstein, have range in your interests and explore the things that you you mentioned curiosity. If something peaks, um, your interest, uh, investigate. I think there's a reason that your interest was peaked. So mm-hmm. willing to investigate and have some range is essential. 
Um, we use something called the anchor and tether model. Uh-huh. Uh, means essentially anchor a concept in, in a specific value or place or whatever. Make sure you got an anchor idea. And then the tether is the rope or, or, or the wiggle room within that. And, and uh, I think for, you know, in, in, uh, for some in entry level spots, the tether is real close, you know, yeah. it's very tight. And then when you, uh, the more expertise you gain or the more uh, experience you have, you can let the rope out a little bit and you've got yeah. a little more wiggle room in there. But uh, like, so for an example, you know, as a receiver say, and, and I, for those who don't get football, I'm sorry to use too much of these terms, but if you want to, uh, if your goal is to, okay, say we're playing cover two behind and your goal is to split the safety, whether you yep. go over or under the linebacker yep. it would not matter quite as much as you getting to this point at this point in time and to exactly. make that the, that the, um, the, the passing scheme sets up the way that we intend it. That's fair. But you added a little um, – so to be able to adapt is key. The, mm-hmm. the distinction you made that, that makes you different from, say, the person who is just a little too open right. say, is, is the right. follow-through. You said – and then you've got to follow through. So w- what you said was, okay, look, you've got to start here. Here's the snap count. Here's where you have to be at the end. You know, mm-hmm. so, like your ability to improvise on the way, that's a strength of yours. But if you don't get to the right freaking place on the field, if you don't follow through with this idea, then the whole thing collapses. And I don't care how adaptable you are, you know, we, we can't move forward. So that's interesting. And I do think that that's yeah. something that athletes kind of have a knack for. You know, do you play to the whistle? Well, I'm recognizing a couple of things. One is uh, I, th- I feel like we could sit down with a cup of coffee or whatever and talk all day. That's one. And that's a good thing. I'm also recognizing that Alex's quick hitter questions are burning a hole in his notebook. And he, so we're going to have to switch to him. But before we do, I hope you, this is okay. Um, I'm, I'm really curious in, you know, you're caught up in your phone for too long or you're caught up wherever for too long. How do you get back to a, a productive place? It, and this may sound very cliche and it, it may not be the answer that, that you're looking for, but I'll tell you, I just stop. Yeah, that's all right. I, 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 I literally stop. It, it can be, it can be my, myself and my team working on an initiative or strategy and, you know, we were set, set certain milestones that we haven't gotten there. I just, I stop. And I, I'll be honest, I just stop. Uh, let, let me reexamine uh, what's most important and mm-hmm. I, I'll cut my losses and, and I'll, I'll start over our, our pivot and go in another direction. Um, socially, if there are relationships that I have and I, I just don't feel that I'm getting what, what I need or maybe I should. Um, or perhaps they may not be receiving it from me. I'll remove myself um, hmm. because I know I can't dedicate the time that, that they need the social activities that they want to need to participate in or a sponsor. Yeah. I just don't, I cannot do it. I, I don't have the, the capacity to do so. I'll just, I'll stop. I'll remove myself announce that it just is not working out for, for Tommy and it's not in my best interest or yours that we continue in this manner. And, and I'll pivot it and go an opposite direction. What, what it's clear that you're good at is um, being reflective, self-reflective mm-hmm. and self-awareness. Because I think mm-hmm. the same thing, because I get asked that sometimes too, um, how do you put your phone away? And it's like, I, I don't have self-talk for that anymore. I just, just yeah. something clicks and I'm like, ah. And it's almost like I was, go- I was being totally mindless. Now yeah. I'm back in this moment. And I'm like, right, yeah. right. Um, and, and the evaluation, we have a tagline. It is, does your behavior match your goal? And if, you, if the answer to that is ever no, okay, step one, click in and, and be mindful of this moment. Step two, ask yourself that question, then the rest yeah. will hopefully click into place. And, but you did one thing that, that I got to uh, recognize. 
you said you referred to yourself as Tommy. So that is actually a self-talk strategy. So you go yep. third person on it. So you can, it's yep. sometimes it's easier to evaluate behavior. And that, that's something that maybe people can come away with this from. I, I use it as an athlete sometime. yep. sometimes. Sometimes I was like, uh, you know, I, I'd be running or whatever, and I'd be just dog tired. I, I don't want to do this anymore. And my self-talk yep. was like, like, let's go, Davis, or whatever. Almost like a coach would have been speaking to me. But this is when I'm training right. on my own, you know. Right. Um, so I'd refer to myself in third person. Also, for some people who aren't great at this, a, a quick takeaway, um, it, 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 some, it distance you sometimes just enough. So instead of having to acknowledge that your behavior, you know, I am doing this wrong, I should stop mm-hmm. doing this, you, you give yourself just a touch of distance and say like, Davis, cut it out or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What, what would the assess, how would the assessor assess my activity? That's, that's what I'll, I'll ask myself mm-hmm. quite often. How yep. would the assessor assess my activity, whether that be your universe, your God, whatever, your coach? Sure. Um, you know, if someone were watching or assessing this activity, what would that assessment be? That's good. That's really yeah. good. Yeah. And yeah. I'm not, I think we do that a lot too. Man, there's a lot of alignment here. Because one thing that we tell our kids is, you know, again, somehow distancing this. How would the assessor assess you? That's interesting. Because yeah. what we say to some of our kids is like, look, who do you have to go through to win conference, say? Yeah. Uh, all right, now for the rest of this workout, pretend that team's at the door. Okay, yeah. they're, they're yeah. watching this. You know what I mean? How, do, how does that yeah. influence your behavior? Are yeah. you going to post yeah. with, them, with eyes on you? So yeah. I think it's really interesting. All right, that's really good. I'm sorry. Alex is chomping at the bit over here. I'm sorry. <laughs> so uh, you're sitting down, I can tell. We've got some quick hitter questions for you. You ready for this? Let's go. I love it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Got you. All right. Jump right into it. What All was right. First no punches, job. What was my first job? Yes, sir. My first job was a summer camp instructor. Um, it was actually helping some kids, supporting kids. I thought I wanted to be a coach, and uh, I learned quickly as much as I love sports and I love kids. This would be my my long term goal to to work with <laughs> to work with kids daily. But yeah, that was my first my first job. What does a successful day look like for you? Wow. Um, so my, my day typically starts, Alex, around 5 a.m. And that's, that's with me. That's where my activity, physical activity starts. Gets my blood flowing, keeps me, uh, keeps me grounded. Uh, I get a chance to, to kind of settle in a spiritual space and, and uh, get prepared for the day. Um, and then go right into it. I mean, corporate work starts right there at, at, at 7 a.m. shortly after the workout. And that, there's a full day um, about until 7, 8, uh, excuse me, 7 p.m. And if I go in, giving my all, um, I'll set daily goals for myself, daily, weekly goals. And, and I hit the mark, then, then I feel pretty good about where I am. I talked earlier about me having to set these goals. Uh, maybe it's the athlete in me. Maybe I'm just a, a prick and, and far too analytical and strategic, but I have to do those things. Otherwise, I don't feel that I've accomplished what I, what I was looking to accomplish in that day. On that same note, is there one habit that you can pinpoint that you think contributes to that success? Maybe it's the routine in the morning. Maybe it's something that's happening during the day. Anything? Uh, write it, write, writing things down. Um, what that's, that's one thing that, that I was always told to do at a younger age and I, I didn't really pick it up until much later on in, in my professional career, but writing things down personal or professional, 
Um, so if there are things that I want to accomplish, if there are things that I've done, if there are things that I, I need, as much as I like to rely on this beautiful brain of mine or reflect that I need some enhancements. So um, writing it down allows me to, to one, go back and see what, what information I put uh, down or in the future, you know, this time next year, I want to go back and see what I did on June the 2nd. I, I had that information there available. That's, I, I like that idea. Uh, that's a cool idea. The idea of writing things down, not just so you remember them, because that is something that I've started to do more. If I like, you know, when I'm walking through the halls, I work at a school during the week. Okay. And, yep. um, you know, all the time it happens where someone will say, can you do this for me? Or can you meet at this time? And I'll always, from, I've started to tell them, I'll be like, send me an email, please. Or like, watch me write it down. Cause I will forget if I don't. But the idea of, uh, reflecting back on the past year is a really interesting one to me and one that I never really thought about, uh, as a benefit for writing things down. So. Yeah. I, I have a, uh, I have a, a gratitude book, so it can be the slightest thing today. Alex and Jim would be in the gratitude book, but things that, that bring me gratification or some sense of happiness or, or you know, because again, I'm, I'm, for whatever reason, I, I feel I have to check that box. And, and when I know that there are things that I can list that I'm grateful for, or perhaps someone else was, was uh, encouraged, or um, they're now enthusiastic because of our dialogue or interaction, it's going in the gratitude book. Love that. Well, we are grateful to be in the gratitude book. I can say that. <laughs> Shifting gears a little bit. Who would play you in a movie about your life? Oh, yeah. Who? Who would play me? Will Smith. There you go. I like it. Will Smith. I, I, like, I love his energy. I, I like what he stands for. He's very, uh, he, I mean, he, he goes to a, a center space and can really reflect and, and bring that out outside of him being a great actor, a great performer, uh, a music guy. I just, I think everything that he does and how he represents himself and his family is, uh, is pretty cool. So we'll, I'll say Will Smith. Fresh Prince. Love it. That's yeah. <laughs> you are in a, a, what I would call a hotbed of, uh, of fantastic food. So my question to you is, uh, you have someone coming in from out of town. You have to take them to get one meal. They only have time to get one meal. Uh, where are you taking them, and and what are you suggesting they get? Wow, the real that's a great question. question. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. So I, I would probably take them here. There's a local place, and it, it's been a favorite of mine. Uh, it's called Two Urban Licks, and Two Urban Licks was a, a former warehouse that has now been converted into a very nice fine dining restaurant. Um, not, I know they have some sister stores, but it's, it's true to the Atlanta area. And uh, if I was looking to impress Alex or Jim, we would have to go to Two Urban Lakes. Well, yeah, I look forward to it. Uh, <laughs> you have nine championships, correct, to choose from. Yeah. Uh, does any one of those stick out to you? Not for maybe it was because of the relationships that came from it. Maybe it was overcoming adversity. Does any one of those stick out to you? Uh, I won't say more than the others, but within that context. Uh, let's see. I'll say uh, probably the high school state championship. And, and that was primarily because. Uh, so I, what I didn't mention before is in middle school, I went to a, a magnet school that didn't have any athletic uh, events. They didn't have any sports. So I had to play football at one school um, that didn't have a basketball team at another school that didn't have a baseball team and had to play baseball 
at, a, at another school. So three different schools that I went to to compete uh, athletically and then got to, to high school and um, chose this school. And, and it was only because my mother taught at the school. So I had an opportunity to go to other schools, but went to this one particular school because my mother taught there and it was told, you know, that school, they'll never win a championship. And there's nothing ever good that comes out of that school. And it's on the own, it's own side of town and they, they'll never accomplish anything. So being able to, uh, to win a championship, actually, the, uh, in football and basketball, that was, that was a, a pretty big deal. Love that. Yep. Right, we're going to end on this one. Uh, All right. If you are a leader in your field, what advice would you give to a future leader who hopes to embark on a similar journey? I would encourage a, a future leader to stay true to themselves. Um, so uh, quite often we, we try to represent as other leaders or teach or implement as other leaders, but I think really staying true to, to who you are and allow that to come out of, in your leadership style versus taking on someone else's will, one, win the trust of your team, um, but two, keep you from, if you will, getting outside the boundaries of yourself because as leaders, there's a lot of things that are pushed or pressed upon us. And if we're always attempting to take that approach of the next leader versus what, what our intuition, our, our brains, our insight, our experiences have led us to believe is right or correct or true, then uh, I think we fall far south of where we should be. You yeah. killed it. Great job. End of lightning round. <laughs> nice. Perfect. Plus. All right, man. Well, really well done. I think um, I think there's a bunch that jumps out from this. I think people can get a lot out of it, really. Yep. Uh, I hope it's the first conversation, one of the first conversations of many, really. Yep. I think there's a lot of alignment. I think um, I think we speak the same language. Uh, yep. I think I'd, I'd love to keep you in the loop regarding all the cool initiatives that we've got going on as a project and how right. we're really trying to highlight the things that we talked about today and give them to people. Um, yep. You know this, and I think we agree on it, that athletics have the potential to be the most powerful learning environment that exists, but you're not, but, it, but none of these lessons and the things that you and I feel we've learned, none of it happened automatically. You know, right. we were lucky to be part of uh, cultures that instilled this in us, whether it's our parents or our coaches or our teammates, um, some inner drive from ourselves, uh, you know, we were, we were, there's reason to be grateful to go back to your idea. There's a lot yeah. of reason to be grateful. And where we sit usually is in the space where we want to enhance the, the cultures that are already doing that. Mm -hmm. We want to make sure that certain maybe under supported teams and areas have the opportunity to grow and learn and thrive in the ways that we've mentioned today. So I hope we keep this dialogue going for sure. Oh, without a doubt. I, I, without a doubt. I think athletics, as we mentioned, is a great avenue and, and allows us a platform to do a lot of wonderful things and achieve together. So if there's any way that I can help or support, fortunately, I won't be able to join the 5K coming up here uh, end of the week. But I uh, wish you guys the best. Uh, I know it'll be an awesome, awesome event. Hoping for a wonderful turnout. And uh, any way that I could give back, uh, I'll be more than happy to be a resource for you. I appreciate that. Well, thank you for your approach. Uh, I, I'm envious of all the people that get to work for, for you. And I'm really, really grateful that we met that day in Colorado. So thank you, Tommy. All right. Thanks a lot. You guys have a good one. This week's episode is brought to you by Remind Recover. Remind Recover is a supplement that helps athletes support brain health. Similar to how you drink a protein shake to help your muscles recover after a workout, Remind Recover has been scientifically formulated to give 
give you the nutritional building blocks to help support healthy brain function. I am a huge fan of Remind Recover. It is as close to the science as any supplement I've seen and feel free to check out their website for more. It's remindrecover.com. And when you go there, if you want to place an order, and I recommend it, use the code GOODATHLETE for a discount on checkout.